Amen, amen. Good morning again. I'm back. Um, I'm excited because I get to continue. We're gonna, this is going to be the last installment for a little while in our series in the book of Acts called To the Ends of the Earth. And I get Acts 18, which uh, is a, a great chapter in the book of Acts. So we're going to dive into that this morning. When I was a younger Christian, um, in, younger in my faith, younger in years too, quite a bit, uh, one of the questions that I wrestled with is what is the normal... Christian life, the normative Christian life supposed to look like? I mean, is it just, I gather together, we worship, we pray, and then I try to live a good life from Sunday to Sunday? Is it, you know, am I, I got my ticket punched to heaven, am I just marking time until Jesus returns or comes to take me home? What is the normative Christian life supposed to look like? And as I, uh, as I dug into God's word, which is where we should go as God's people, we always want to go to his word when we have questions. I dug into his word, and the answer that I came up with there was that uh, the normative Christian life or the normal Christian life can be summed up in one word, and that word is discipleship. Discipleship. And so then that led me to another question is, okay, well, what is a disciple and what is discipleship? Okay, great questions. And as I dug, again, dug into the word of God, what I discovered, and I've come up with this little definition of my own as to what is a disciple. Because a lot of times when you would hear the word disciple, you know, people will tell you, well, it means a, a learner or a follower, right? Those kinds of things. Okay, great. But in the Christian context, a lot of times we hear the word disciple and we think super Christian. It's like special forces Christian, right? You know, you get, you know, well, yeah, I'm a believer, but that guy, he's a disciple, right? No. What a disciple is, is absolutely every follower of Jesus, anyone who has placed their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, is a disciple. And disciples are people who are growing in their faith and in their love and their joyful service to God and others. And you can see that in Scripture. You can go into into Paul's letter to the Ephesians, for example. You can find this laid out for us. And so if that's what a disciple is, then discipleship then would be helping others to follow Jesus more closely and to grow in their faith and their love and their joyful service to God and others. You see, there's a lot of things that happen when a person comes to faith in Jesus. The first thing we learn is that we pass from death to life, that we, we're, we're made new. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. So there's this new life. We're, 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 we're born again, as Jesus said. Peter says that we've been born again by, uh, by spiritual seed, in, which is imperishable. There's this idea that when we put our faith in, in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, his atonement for our sins, his resurrection um, to new life, when we put our faith in him as our Savior, as our Lord, we are given this new life. We literally have the spirit of Christ, the spirit of God indwelling us, which is insane to think about. I know it's mind-blowing and it's a something for another sermon, but that's what the word teaches. And along with that new life, along with that new life comes a new identity. We are now, uh, we're now you know, forgiven, we're redeemed, we're adopted sons and daughters, we're co-heirs with Christ. All of those things become true about us when we have this new life within us. And in addition to our new identity, we're given a new family, this family of faith, other people, the ecclesia, the called out ones, we're called out of the world to follow Christ in community in this new family. And within that new family, we have a new authority. 
Jesus isn't only our Savior, Jesus is also our Lord, meaning our authority. And as our authority, he gives us a new purpose or a new mission. And if you go into Matthew 28, and you go to the end of Matthew 28, very familiar passage, the Great Commission, Jesus starts by saying, all authority, there's that word, all authority, in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. Go and evangelize, go and feed the poor, go and do what? Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Disciple-making is the mission. Disciple-making is the mission. But it's hard. It's hard work. Most churches, frankly, don't do it well. They don't do it well. Now, let me give you, I'm going to draw, uh, make a, a little metaphor here that hopefully will help us as we go along through uh, Acts 18. My wife, Patricia, she loves plants. She loves all kinds of plants, house plants, garden plants, fruit trees, whatever. She just loves plants. But she's never satisfied. She's not satisfied with going out and buying a mature plant and then just having it and then going, look, there it is. Isn't that lovely? No. No, that's not good enough. She's got, she's got to like get the plant and then she's got to do like cuttings of the plant. And then she's got to figure out how to make those cuttings sprout. And then what kind of soil should they be in? And well, and then you got it in one kind of soil and then it gets a certain size. You got to move it to the other kind of soil and you have to water it and you have to put the right fertilizer in it and prune it and all those kinds of things. I'm like, just buy a fake plant. <laughs> you want fruit? Go to the grocery store. I don't know. But, but she loves it and she loves to get the soil under her fingernails. It's dirty work. And, and as we're going to see, discipleship is a lot like that. It's, it's dirty work. It's the reason why most churches don't do it well. It's, it's about relationships. Um, it, it has the opportunity. It's, it can be messy. It has the opportunity for a lot of heartbreak, a lot of disappointment for the discipler, for sure. But the upsides, as I hope you're going to see, the upsides are amazing. Now, events and evangelistic events and evangel all of those things in comparison to discipleship are relatively easy. Right? If you've got a couple of high-capacity leaders in your church and some people with the gift of administration, a gift of people with leadership, you can pull off some great events with a small handful of people and then the whole church, congregation, the family, we can all get together and enjoy what those people have put together. Right? If you've got a few people in your church who are gifted evangelists, Man, they can go out on the street and they can go door to door and person to person and they're sharing, they're witnessing and it's fantastic. That's great. I don't know if, I, you know, and I just realized that actually as I was putting this message together, there isn't, there isn't listed in scripture a gift of discipleship. Apparently that's for everybody, right? There's not a gift of discipleship listed. All of those other things, again, are relatively easy. Even the sharing, you know, as most of us would be completely intimidated by sharing our faith with a perfect stranger on the street. We'd be like, don't, no, not me. Now, a person with the gift of evangelism, uh, you know, no problem. I don't know if Pastor Phil's here. Pastor Phil's one of those people. Literally no problem, just boom, we're going right to the gospel. And I'm like, that's amazing. But discipleship is, is, is harder. Discipleship is harder. All of those other things, evangelism, evangelistic events, caring for the poor, all of the good works that we do are not the mission. The mission, those, those things are good and they're godly and they're, and they're uh, commanded and they're modeled throughout Scripture, but those things are means or tools for accomplishing the mission. They can be the fruit of the mission being accomplished, but the mission 
is discipleship. And so as we continue this series today to the ends of the earth, we're going to be, like I said, in Acts 18. And it, I think it's kind of funny. It's a funny coincidence. I don't think it's anything more than a coincidence. But Acts 18, 1, 8, is actually kind of shows us, puts flesh on the bones of Acts 1, 8, which is where we started in the, in the beginning, right? Acts 1, 8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Um, it kind of puts meat on the bones. Just kind of a side funny thing that I noticed when as I was preparing for this. Now, Acts 18 is not exhaustive about discipleship by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but I believe there is at least five things, at least five things that we learn about discipleship from this text. And here's what they are. Number one, discipleship is personal. It's one-on-one, hand-to-hand, you know, face-to-face, it's personal. The second thing is that it occurs in the mundane. It occurs, it occurs in the day-to-day. And then it takes time. Because it occurs in the mundane, it takes time to accomplish. It takes time and patience. It has to be anchored in God's word. Real discipleship, true discipleship, is always rooted and anchored in God's word. And finally, it's reproductive. If you want to know if it's actually discipleship, you'll see that it's, there's multiplication. It's reproductive in its nature. So those five things, personal, takes place in the mundane, takes time, is anchored in God's word and is reproductive. And we're going to go through each one of those. But before we do, I want to kind of set the stage here a little bit and give us, you know, kind of get our bearings. Uh, Paul, in, in, in Acts 18, he's left Athens. That's where we were last week with the unknown God. Great message. Um, and now he is moving from Athens to Corinth. Corinth is kind of a, a sister or a competitive city to Athens, also very prosperous, also very, you know, a lot of commerce. They have a port. Um, but Corinth is kind of known as the capital of debauchery, right? It's sort of the, you know, the Las Vegas of their area, right? So it's kind of, you know, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. And, right, and that's, that is the environment that, that Paul was going there to plant a church in, which must have been super intimidating, must have been super intimidating. In fact, if you go and you read Romans chapter 1, Paul wrote the letter to the Romans from Corinth. And so if you go back and you read Romans chapter 1 and you read about what Paul says and what God says through Paul about what happens to a people when God lifts his hand and, and, and gives them over to the desires of their flesh, the kind of debauchery that results when that happens Paul outlines it in Romans 1, and it makes sense because he's sitting in the middle of Vegas watching all of this happen around him and he's, as he writes. It makes it all the more interesting to me that uh, one of the things that happens in Corinth while Paul's there is that God appears to him, speaks to him, and says this. It's in, you find it in Acts 18, verses 9 and 10. He says, one, it's one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, don't be afraid, speak out, don't be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack and harm you. And here's the interesting thing. For many people in this city belong to me. And so just like we were singing, and, and, and Pastor Jason was talking about, you know, not to be discouraged when we see, when we feel like darkness is rising around us and all these things, we need to remember that God is on his throne. Like Jason said, he's not taken him by surprise. He's not losing. He's not losing. The kingdom of God is not losing. He is in control, and he has many people He has many people in this town. He has many people in this country. He has many people in the world. And so we need to be bold 
Um, and Paul understood, from that point on, it feels like Paul really understood how strategic Corinth was going to be for the gospel because it was at a crossroads, it was a place of great commerce, and because of just the, the sort of the milieu, if you want to use that word, of, of just immorality that was there. He said, this is a place to make a beachhead. This is a place to plant a church. Acts 18 is a narrative, so we're not going to find a lot of, you know, thus says the Lord, this and that about discipleship. But it does give us a good model, a good um, depiction of what it looks like in action, a model for us to follow. So real quick overview of the chapter. Very, very quick. Paul goes to Corinth. When he gets to Corinth, he meets uh, Priscilla and Aquila. And Priscilla and Aquila are from, they're Jews, and they're from Rome. They're Jewish Christians from Rome. Now, they'd been kicked out of Rome along with all the other Jews, both Christian Jews and non-Christian Jews, because the Christian Jews and the non-Christian Jews were fighting over who Jesus was and whether or not he was the Messiah. And so the emperor was like, enough of your arguing. I'm just going to kick everybody out. You all need to leave. So they were in Corinth because of that. And Paul meets them, and they strike up this friendship. They enter into a disciple-making relationship. They begin to work together, live together, minister together. Paul's there for a year and a half with them, and at that point he decides, okay, the church has been established, it's time to leave, I'm going to go back, I'm going to strengthen the other churches, and they leave for Ephesus. In Ephesus, Paul does what he needed to do, but he leaves Priscilla and Aquila behind, and he moves on. Now, it says where he went, you know, he went to strengthening the churches, went up to Jerusalem, and then from there he went to Antioch. We're not going to talk much about that today. But uh, Aquila and Priscilla that are left there, they meet a guy named Apollos. And Apollos, like them, is also a Jewish man who believed that Jesus was the promised Messiah. And I hope this is an aside for us to remember that the early church was very Jewish. It was almost entirely Jewish. Even though they were beginning to preach to the Gentiles, the core of the church was Jewish. And Christianity is not a new religion, and it wasn't a new religion back then, it was a fulfillment of the hope of Israel, the hope for a Messiah. It was a continuation of something that already existed, a fulfillment. So let's just hold that in our minds as well. Now, this guy, Apollos, was apparently a pretty bold guy. He was on fire for the Lord. He was a skilled speaker, but he didn't have all of the information. He didn't really understand everything. But Achille and Priscilla see him and see the potential in him, and they kind of come around alongside him, and they begin discipling him. Now, after some time, and we don't know how long, but it had probably been a good, a good amount of time, Apollos decides that he's, gonna, he's feeling called to go to Achaia, which really means to go back to Corinth, because Achaia was just the region, and Corinth was the principal city in the region of Achaia. So he's going to go back uh, there, and he gets letters of reference from Aquila and Priscilla and the church in Ephesus, and he, he gets sent off to go there and minister to the church that Paul had planted back in Corinth. So we get to see this full, this discipleship thing make a full circle and come all the way back around where you have Apollos, who's discipled by the people that Paul discipled, now going back and discipling the people in the church that Paul had planted back in Corinth. It's just, it's awesome. And that's, again, that's Part of the root of what we're going to get at here is the way that discipleship works. Um, the cool thing is you, we find out, you know, that Paul knew about this, and Paul, you know, apparently had some relationship with Apollos after this. And if you go to 1 Corinthians, the first letter to the church in Corinth in chapter 3, verses 5 and 7, Paul says this. He says, I planted the seed. There's the planting thing metaphor. I planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it but it was God who made it grow. 
And so we see this full circle of disciple making. So that's, that's the big picture. Now we're going to dive in, we're going to dig into those five things that I talked about in the beginning, the five characteristics of discipleship that we find in this text. The first one meaning that being that it's personal. It's one-on-one, face-to-face. Uh, Paul to Achilla and Priscilla, Achilla and Priscilla to Apollos, and then on from there. It's not, it wasn't a big group thing, it wasn't a, you know, a, a countryside, uh, open-air revival type of thing, as important as those are. Discipleship doesn't happen in open-air revivals. Discipleship doesn't really happen here in a group gathering like this. And we see even Jesus, right? Even Jesus, who had 12 disciples who were close to him. But even amongst those 12, really there were three that were really close. Peter, James, and John were closer than the others to Jesus. So not even Jesus was trying to do discipleship to the masses because that's not how it works. It's personal. It's one-on-one. Like, I've, I've had the privilege in 20 years of ministry to preach like this in front of thousands of people, but I've only had the privilege to disciple a small handful of people because, honestly, we don't have the capacity to do much more than that, and we're going to see why as we go through some of these other characteristics of it. Now, picture time. <laughs> so the, on the top left-hand corner, the guy in the top left of that picture with the glasses on is named Pastor Dave Doyle. When I was a uh, new in the ministry, um, I was like a little bit like Apollos. I, I was excited. I was full of zeal, and I, I knew some stuff. And the stuff that I knew, I was very sure of, and I wanted to share it with everybody. But I didn't know everything, and it became abundantly clear to me that I didn't know everything when I got into an environment where there was a lot of really knowledgeable people around. And Dave Doyle who was uh, the, the pastor of adult instruction at the church that I was at at the time and also a professor of, of systematic theology, took me under his wing and he said, let's, let's just walk together. Let's walk together. Let me, and I was so happy that he decided to do that. And he did for the, the rest of the time that I was at that church and in the beginning part of my ministry it had an enormous impact on me, and not just because he taught me the word, because he, but he did, but because he modeled that. It's like Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Dave gave me access to his family. He gave me uh, time together with him in different environments so that I could see him walk out the things that he was teaching me. That's discipleship. It's one-on-one. It's face-to-face. The guy on the bottom, right below that picture on the right, the guy with the crazy hair, and that's just to pretend you don't see him. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, I should, have, I should have cropped him out of that picture, but whatever. The guy on the right, the guy on the right's name is Marcelo. I met Marcelo in 2003 on my first missionary trip to Brazil, and he was a recent college grad at the time, and he and I, you know, we hit, it up, hit up a, a conversation around soccer. He was a really, really good soccer player. I'm a terrible soccer player, so we had that in common, um, but we both love the sport, and so we, you know, we, we struck up a conversation about that, and I began to disciple Marcelo and share with him about, you know, what does it mean to, be, to live on mission, and, you know, he wasn't married at the time, and so, you know, he got to spend time around me and around my wife and around my kids and, and hear, you know, how does scripture apply to marriage and how does it apply to parenting? I got to the privilege of introducing him to his future wife at one point. Marcelo then, if you go to the middle picture... It's Marcelo again on the right. The guy in the red hat there is Eduardo. Eduardo was led to Christ by Marcelo about a week after he got out of prison. 
Marcelo then begins to disciple Eduardo. He called me in to help me disciple Eduardo as well, and the two of us discipled Eduardo for quite a long time. Marcel, or Eduardo at that then, that's Eduardo up in the top right again, then he leads this guy on the bottom right-hand corner, that's Bruno. He leads Bruno to the Lord. Bruno had been a crack addict, and Eduardo led him to Christ, and then began discipling Bruno. So as you can see, my point in showing these pictures is not to tell you my life story, but to show you that this is, this is the model of discipleship. It's one person pouring into another person who pours into another person, and on it goes. It's personal. It's not hit and run. It's not in a large group. It's up close and personal. In addition to that, it occurs in the mundane. Now, when we hear mundane, we think boring, right? Most of the time, we, somehow or another, we've associated those words. Mundane just comes from the word mundo, which just means world. It's just the things of the world, the day-to-day activities that we have. For Paul and Aquila and Priscilla, it was tent making. He recognized, right, Paul lived and worked with them for they were tent makers just as he was. And so they had that in common and they connected over that. And then they spent a lot of time together. They lived together. They worked together. They ministered together. That's what is required Right? Discipleship, true, true discipleship is going to happen in those one-on-one, day-to-day activities. You know, in order for you to pass on information to somebody in a way that's effective, you need teachable moments. Right? Teachable moments. You've all heard of your parents, you've heard that. You take advantage of your teachable moments. Jesus used teachable moments. If you look through the Gospels, Jesus was always using these little moments of things that happened to point out biblical truth to his disciples. Well, in order to have teachable moments, you need to have moments, right? And those moments are going to happen just walking around doing the day-to-day things. Marcelo and I traveled a lot together in the early days of the ministry there in Brazil. We traveled from city to city. We spent hours together. And it was always just having these conversations, taking the kids, running the kids to a, you know, swim practice or helping my wife wash the dishes after dinner or whatever it happens. It was all little things like that. It was sharing life together in the mundane You know, Eduardo, the same thing, came to live in our house for a time, spent time around the family table with us. We worked together. We did, uh, you know, it it was time. It was lots of moments within which we could find teachable moments. That's what's required. Eduardo ended up hiring Bruno. Eduardo was was a commercial house painter. He hired Bruno, taught him a trade, but just so that he could spend time with him and he could disciple him. Right? This is how discipleship works. It's as you walk along the way, as, as the scriptures say, when you rise up, when you lay down, when you're going out and you're coming in. Discipleship requires that kind of, that kind of uh, investment, teachable moments. I think about, uh, there was a young man that had asked me to disciple him just a few years ago named Nate. And uh, I called Nate up on the phone one day and I said, hey, Nate, I've got to go over to my mom's house. I'm going to clean out her gutters. Uh, my mom's, you know, lives on her. She lives on her own, and I'm going to go help her clean out her gutters. Can I, you know, you want to go along with me? Sure, absolutely. I said, okay, you can help. You can hold a ladder or whatever. So we went, and and I, and I did this with a purpose because I knew that Nate had a, had trouble with his had a really difficult relationship with his parents. It was very very conflicted relationship with his parents, particularly with his dad. It was just not good at all. So as we're there, and I'm cleaning out the gutters for my mom. I'm able to talk to him about, you know, Nate, this is one way that I have to honor my mom. Because you know what? Scripture teaches us to honor our father and mother. I said, so you know what's interesting, Nate? Scripture doesn't teach us to honor our father and mother if they're honorable. 
It just says honor them and let God take care of the rest, right? So again, teachable moment. If you're not there cleaning out the gutters, we weren't sitting in a classroom. The classroom was wherever we happened to be. That is discipleship. That is discipleship. So it happens in the mundane. And because it happens in the mundane, it takes time. It takes time, right? Paul was with Achilla and Priscilla in, uh, in Corinth for a year and a half. We don't really know how long Achilla and Priscilla were with Apollos, but we have to assume that it was some decent length of time in order for them to impart to him all of the things that they had learned from Paul. You know, Marcelo and I served together for seven years. Eduardo and I continue to serve together. Pastor Dave Doyle still calls me on the phone to check in on me, sends me emails. We still have a relationship even though we've both moved on to different parts of the country. It takes time. Going back to the plant metaphor, in order for you to, you have to have patience and time to take a plant from a cutting or a seed to a full-grown plant that can reproduce. It takes time. It takes time. It takes patience. Um, You know, we had, uh, Patricia really wanted, anybody have a a desert rose plant in their house? I've seen a lot of them around here. Yeah, so Patricia really wanted, she'd seen a picture of it, the black desert rose and we went, I went all over the place trying to find a black desert rose for her, right? And I couldn't find them anywhere in any of the nurseries. So I went online and I ordered seeds for a black desert rose. That was a year ago. I think they're like this big. I mean, it's taking forever. For these, but she's out there and she's caring for them and making sure they're in the right place and the right sun and all those kind of stuff. That's what discipleship is like. It takes, it takes time. It takes patience in order for the fruit of Christ to be reproduced in the life of another person is not something that happens overnight. Okay, so it takes time. It happens in the mundane. It's personal. It's also, and this is key, that it's anchored in the word of God. That is very, very clear from this passage in Acts 18. I'm going to run through three verses really quick that, that hit this. Acts 18:5. Paul spent all his time preaching the word, not preaching you know, live a good life, not preaching, you know, here's how you can make a great living, not, not preaching about his own testimony. He was preaching the word of God. All of those other things are great, but if they're not anchored in the word of God, then it's just a lot of nice words. It has to be anchored in the word of God. Matthew 8, or uh, Acts 18, 26. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, that's Apollos, preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside and explained the way of God even more accurately. How could they explain the word of God, the way of God, even more accurately without the word of God? It had to be anchored in the scriptures. A couple of verses later, Acts 18.28, using the scriptures, and this is Apollos, right? So we saw with Paul, then we see with Priscilla and Aquila, and now Apollos. Using the scriptures, he explained to them that Jesus was the Messiah. You know, in Matthew 28, when Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. He then says, teaching them, teaching them. Teaching them what? Teaching them to obey or observe all that I have commanded you. How do we know what all that he commanded us if we don't open the scriptures? You have to open the word. That is where true discipleship is gonna happen. That's where Pastor Dave Doyle took me when I was young in, young in my faith and young in ministry. He took me back to the word. He took me always back to the word. It's what I did with Marcelo. It's what Marcelo did with Eduardo. Eduardo did with Bruno and on down the line. It's the word, the word, the word. It has to be anchored there. Otherwise, it's just mentoring, which isn't bad, 
but it's not discipleship. The last one is, is that it's reproductive, and this is a key. Real discipleship is going to be reproductive. Matthew 28 is a bookend, okay? You have, it's a bookend to what you see in Genesis, and I'm going to explain how. So, you know, we all know from Scripture that, or we should know from Scripture, that, that Jesus is referred to as the second Adam. He is the, he's the Adam represented humanity. Jesus came to represent humanity, but, it, but to get it done, to fix what Adam did not fulfill, okay? And just like the command to Adam and Eve after God created Adam and Eve was go forth and multiply and fill the earth and have dominion. Well, if you go to Matthew 28, basically what Jesus is saying to the disciples is the exact same thing. He's saying, therefore, go and make disciples, multiply. Make disciples of who? Of all nations, fill the earth. Teach them to obey, have dominion, okay? These are bookend statements. God is saying, I'm making in Jesus, I'm making all things new. There's a new, there's a new uh, exodus from slavery. Uh, there's a new creation. There's a new uh, multiplication. We're gonna fill, the, the idea is to fill the earth for God's kingdom and his reign to fill the earth. It has to be reproductive. Paul discipled Achilla and Priscilla. Priscilla and Achilla in turn discipled Apollos who in, in turn went to the, uh, you know, discipled other believers in Ephesus and then back in Corinth. Um, he was uh, very powerful in his evangelism of Jewish people. They were his countrymen. Specifically, we think he may even have been the author of the book of Hebrews. There's a really good chance he's a, one of the top two candidates for, because we don't know who actually wrote Hebrews, but Apollos is a strong candidate for that. And again, in my example that I gave here, Pastor Dave Doyle, to me, to Marcelo, to Eduardo, to Bruno, to hundreds if not thousands of children and youth who have now heard the gospel and have given their lives to Jesus as a result of what Dave Doyle did. And somebody, I'm sure, before Dave Doyle that did for him. It multiplies. There are children right now who know Jesus and, and, and have a place in heaven with God for eternity because of what Dave Doyle did, and they don't even know who he is. Never even heard his name. It's reproductive in nature. You know, uh, Pastor Jason and I this, earlier this week were talking about this message and trying to think of metaphors and all that kind of thing. And one of the ones that we came up with, oh, it's kind of like a relay race, you know, where you pass the baton. But then we immediately went, no, it's not like that at all. Because in a relay race, when you pass the baton, the guy who passes the baton stops running. That's not the case in discipleship. You just have another baton and you, you keep going, right? You just keep going to the next person. You know, Marcelo today ministers in the northern part of Brazil. He's planted a church there, he and his wife. They've got hundreds and hundreds of people that they minister to. Uh, they have a, they built a community center. I mean, they're just doing amazing things and discipling scores of people and discipling people who are discipling other people. Uh, Eduardo is the, now the field director and president of the ministry that we started in Brazil, and he travels all over the country uh, helping to start new, new ministries in different parts of the, of the country. Bruno is... Back in, the, in the, the neighborhood that I started in, way, way back, 20 years ago almost, and he's ministering to hundreds of kids there. This is reproduction. It's multiplication. That is what discipleship is about. So discipleship is the mission. It is the mission. It's personal. It happens in the mundane. It takes time. It takes patience. It's got to be anchored in God's word. And it's reproductive. It's multiplication.
So we've had some history, we've listened to some stories, so, so what? What is the big idea? What do we do with all of this as a church? How should this change the way that we as a community live? Um, how do we do things differently in response to what we've heard? If his kingdom come on earth as it, as it is in heaven, and that is the objective, if that's the objective, discipleship then is the mission, it's the way that we accomplish the objective. Everything that Jesus did in his earthly ministry was all moving towards creating opportunities for one-on-one, one-to-two, one-to-three discipleship relationships. It's not easy. It's hard. We need to recognize that right up front. You get your hands dirty. You get your heart broken. You get disappointed. It's an all-hands-on-deck kind of a thing. It's not something where we go, oh, we got a few great disciplers. We're going to have them do all the disciples. No, this is something that we all have to buy into. We all have to be on the same page, all hands on deck. Evangelistic events, evangelism, efforts, good works, all of those things are helpful tools, but they're not ultimately the mission. And like I said before, because of this, most churches don't do it well, but I think that we can be different. I think Centerpoint is different. I think God is doing something special here, and I'm excited about it. And it begins with a perspective change, which I hope I've gotten us somewhere you know, down the road, move the ball forward a little bit there today, so that we have the proper perspective about what discipleship is. And then the second piece of it that we all need to do is open our eyes. We need to have our eyes open. Paul didn't walk into Corinth looking for two people named Priscilla and Achilles specifically, but he did have his eyes open for people like them because he understood that that was the mission. He understood that that was the mission. Exponential growth through discipleship is God's means for advancing his kingdom. So I think what I would like to see together at Centerpoint is that we would become an an environment or a culture where it is one of disciple-making, where we are keeping our eyes open for opportunities to disciple others and to be discipled by others, that we're praying for those opportunities, that we're pursuing those opportunities, that we're seeking to be equipped to pursue those opportunities, that we're asking ourselves questions like, okay, who is my Apollos? Who is my Aquila? Who is my Priscilla? You know, I can say this with certainty because we've talked about it. Mitch's desire my desire, Jason's desire, our leadership team's desire here is that we would become that kind of a community where the events that we hold, right? We hold lots of events here. We have rooted groups. We have growth groups. We have men's and women's ministry and Bible studies, which by the way, they, are, they have information for you out underneath that tent this morning. They're out there manning their tent, telling people about men's and women's women's ministry opportunities. But all of those things, guys, all of those things are meant to move us in the direction of the kingdom objective, helping people, helping each other move closer to God with Jesus at the center. Amen? Why don't you bow your heads with me so we can pray. Father, we do thank you, Lord, that not only did you give us this task, which to us seems just a ridiculously difficult, impossible almost task. But God, that you promise to be with us in it. God, that after Jesus gave us that command, he said, and I am with you always. Father, that by your spirit, we are empowered to do things that would be otherwise impossible. I pray, Father, that you would be at work in the hearts of each person, each man and woman and young person, child, 
in this church, Lord, that we would all have our eyes open for discipleship relationships, Lord. That your kingdom might come here on earth as it is in heaven. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.